together on this beautiful journey that we're on, the series called Drawn In. We're taken out of Egypt to be drawn in. It's not just taken out of something, it's taken, God is taking us into something else. And so Exodus 18 is our focus today. So I'm going to read it and comment as I go along. And if your Bible reads differently, it's either because it's in a different language than English or it's a different version than the ESV, the English Standard Version that I will read. And so I forgive you if you have a different version. That's fine. ESV is my preferred one, but all are good. Jethro, it says in verse 1. Say with me, Jethro. Jethro. The title of our message this morning is, Step Out of the Crowd. Step out of the crowd. And so Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. It's amazing that at that time, without all the social media stuff, without all the communication lines, the people were in the desert, but God had still spoken through whatever we means he would spread his word. He will spread his message to people. And people would come to know about what God is doing. And so it's beautiful to see this. So Jethro is somewhere else. He gets to hear about what God is doing. And for Israel's people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. And so now Jethro, it goes into that. He'd taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, and, and she had been with him while Moses had gone to Egypt to help the people out. And so at this time, Jethro is, is prepared to take Zipporah with the two boys back to Moses. And so this is the event that's taking place. We see in verse 5, after just introducing the family there, it says, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. By the way, it's the same mountain, it's the same place where Moses had the burning bush experience with God. Amazing, it's a significant place. And so here we see Moses and Jethro meeting. And it says, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons. And her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. How many of you have ever kissed your father-in-law? It's quite biblical to do that. So I um, just want to say, my father-in-law is not around yet this morning, so praise the Lord, I'm not going to apply it. Um, but anyway, so is there a son and a father-in-law here present? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You and Charles, you can... <laughs> anyway, we're not going to, you don't want to distribute, just, just kind of demonstrate that to us perhaps, hey? No, not to me, I'm not your father-in-law. <laughs> anyway, it's beautiful what the Bible illustrates. And it says, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. It's beautiful that as they come together, there's this, there's this mutual respect and appreciation. And there's an opportunity for Moses to talk about what God had done, not just complain. None of you do that ever. You talk about all the beautiful things. Here Moses tells him that, hey, we've gone through some tough times. But he also helps Jethro understand that the Lord has been good to them. 
He had delivered them. And in verse 9 it says, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. So the question quickly here is, when you and I talk to people and we tell them about what we're going through, does it lead them to rejoicing or to complaining or to sympathizing with us possibly? Oh, shame. That's a danger for me. I've got so many friends and relatives in South that the moment that they phone you, I was talking to a friend that you must probably know, Rob Hutton from, from Dubai. This week we had a, we had a chat on, on Zoom and, and he was just asking again, how's Zoom? And I'm like, gee, Zoom is great. All those wonderful things. Stuff that we go through in an economically challenged country. That's what it really is, ECC. That's where we are. We're in an economically challenged country. And, and so we can always talk about those things and, and complain. And then in any other day, you lead the poor person that's listening to all of your stuff in a place that it's, I mean, it's very difficult to rejoice after all the stuff that you shared with me. <laughs> and they maybe feel bad and they do something for you or whatever. We've got to watch that we don't lead people to that place. We've got to lead them to where Moses led Jethro in verse 9. It says, he rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now he says, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. Do people say that when they listen to my story? When I talk to them about what's going on in my life, does it lead them to say, sure, now I know. This know is a beautiful Hebrew word called yada, which is a very intimate knowing. Actually, when the Bible says that, that Adam knew his wife, Eve, talking about sexual intercourse, they use the word yada. And so when, when Jethro comes and he sees and he listens to Moses, he says, now I know, I yada, that God is good. It's an intimate understanding by listening to what Moses had to share. Again, the stories that you and I tell, does it, do they lead people to a, I know, I know that God is good. I want to encourage you, make sure that the stories that you and I tell I mean, it's real and it's tough and it's all sorts of things. But may they all lead other people to say, I know that God is good. He is absolutely faithful. It carries on. In verse 12, it says, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. I love this. The stories that Moses shared led Jethro to praise God with him. And it led Jethro to also offer sacrifices to God. And it brought about community. brought the elders in. They broke bread. They just had a good time together. Why? Not only did he come to visit, but he found somebody that spoke well of God and had good things to say about what God was doing. And one of the things that we've got to step away from the crowd for is in the crowd, that's where we only get to know the bad stories. So if you're in the crowd, step away from and let God show you who he is and what he's doing, and let that become your story. And verse 13, it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. It's pretty long. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. 
Moses' father-in-law said to him, what are you doing is not good. When you told me what God is doing, that was good. But now when you tell me what you're doing, it's not good. Huh? All right? And he says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Say with me, alone. 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 All right? Sometimes there are things that we need to do alone. But most of the time, we're not supposed to do things alone. All right? It says, now obey my voice. How is this for a father-in-law? Hey, this is just good advice for you, Charles, to speak into the son-in-laws that are around you. I don't know who they may be. But anyway, um, it says, now obey my voice. It says, I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Say with me, hate a bribe. Gee, that's news to us. Eh? Things like that is not probably relevant in our community. But anyway, just for you to know, this is kind of like external advice. Hate a bribe. It says, look for people like that. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Moses was saying, it's time. Or Jethro was saying to Moses, it's time for the people to come out from amongst the crowds. So I want you to be able to carry the load but not be overwhelmed by it. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it'll be easier for you. And they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, you can take my advice or chuck it. If you do this, this is a promise. God will direct you. And you will be able to endure. And, and listen to this. All these peoples also will go to their place in peace. The message actually says, uses this word. It says, when the people flourish, the people will go in peace if you do this. And so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all, say with me, all, all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. And any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. And then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. Beautiful, beautiful story. Just that Moses is in this predicament and, and, and Jethro observes it. Jethro watches him. Which by the way is such a good principle. And we'll talk about that just now. And so all of these things. And you can take time to go read through this beautiful chapter. And I just want to say a few things from this chapter is that kindness and matter, manners will take you far. All right? Don't miss this. Kindness and manners will take you far. And we live in a world where we are so exposed to the opposite of this, where people don't care about one another. And what COVID has done to us, we've just become so careful towards ourselves that we only concern are concerned with ourselves and COVID has actually made us so aware of just our own needs and not the needs of others and so we've got to recognize that part of where we are today in our season as the church worldwide by the way is to come back to the place where we say I want to be kind towards you I want to have manners towards you like Moses had towards Jethro welcome you in my place 
I bowed down and I kissed you. It wasn't worshiping him. It was a sign of respect. Second thing I want to say just from this portion is that we've got to share our stories and prepare, be prepared to listen to the stories of others. Each one of you have a story to tell. There's a story that God is busy working out in your life. A story of, of, of challenge, a story of, of, of real you know, difficulty perhaps at times, but it's a story that is worth talking about. And it's worth sharing with others. And it's also important that you and I listen to the stories of others. Don't just tell your story. Say what's happening in your life. And I find that, again, we become so busy that we do not know what really is happening in another person's life. I was just saying to a friend this morning, Mpin Debele, he leads a church here in town, New Creation Church, and we were just talking, and, and I was saying, hey, what are you guys doing this morning? And he's saying, oh, this is what we're preaching. And I was saying, oh, what, are we, what can we pray for you guys? He said, please pray for this. And I said, pray, pray for us for these things. And I said to him, you know what, Mpin, this is silly. We're kind of like just sharing this information on WhatsApp and on voice message. It's best that we get together. I want to just hear your story a bit. Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, it's good. We should do that. Do a coffee and we can hear each other's stories. And not come and bemoan our situation, but just share what God is busy doing in our lives. And part of that comes when we step out of the crowd. I find that even here when we gather, even this morning, two people came and I said, hey, do you know this one? Please don't just tell them your name. Because I was at the, the Falls Church the other day and, and two people were on duty setting up the, 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 the chairs and I'm like, do you know each other? This is so-and-so and that's a, oh, oh, great to meet you. There are moments that are crucial for us to step out of the crowd because many of you here don't know each other. You see each other's face and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've seen you. I often see you. By the way, you're going to see a couple of men this morning serving coffee and tea. Ask their names. They do have names, by the way. All right? And it's amazing what they will be doing, that the men are stepping up and serving tea. I think that's great. Wonderful. But yeah, inquire about each other. Don't just stay in the crowd and like, oh, I just got to get out of here quickly. Let's get to know each other. The third thing that, that we see in this chapter is that we need to worship God and rejoice with others. We need to, we need to worship. And only until we find out what people's stories are can we also sympathize with others. Did you know that so and so has happened? Did you know that? Et cetera, et cetera. Is taking place in somebody's life but if we are in the crowd the whole time we don't step out and we don't get to know we don't listen we don't share nothing's going to happen ladies and gentlemen and we're just going to be a people that gather on a Sunday and we have coffee and tea and somebody preaches and we sing some worship songs and that's it but we don't know nothing about each other and when we want to reach out to people and say Christianity is a wonderful thing to pursue they're like uh who are the people in church by the way it's just that you have connection with so that I can know whether this is something that I would like to also participate in. Well, um, yeah, there, there, there. The third thing I, I want to say from, or the fourth thing from Moses' experience here is that you're going to be content and secure enough to allow people to observe you. <laughs> Jethro comes in. He greets him. He has a great time. They, they have some pizzas or whatever. And then the next day, Moses is back to work and he allows his father-in-law doesn't say that, hey, no, sorry, sorry, you can't be here. This is our territory. Why don't you just go and sit over there? No, Jethro is around, so he observes, he watches. He sees what Moses is up to. And he's like, no way. And that's the next thing. 
that, that you've got to understand that as you allow people close to you, that they may come up with some comments and some observations and some possible criticism. But we helpful. But if we live in isolation, if we're in the crowd the whole time, nobody's going to notice really what you're up to. And so the point is, there's a place that this leads us to, and we're going to look at it intently this morning, that we've got to come out of the crowd, step out of the crowd, and step into a place where we say, this is my life. Brother Kilton, look at me. See what you see. And talk to me about what you see. Help me. And I can't do that with everybody, but I've got to have a place where a Jethro is allowed into my life. Where Jethro comes and he just sits and he observes. Like, wow, that was different what you did there to your wife or said to her. And so by the way, when we have people like, like George and Liesel that are coming to visit us, they're going to stay with us in our house and we're going to dress up nicely and have our best performance to the T. You know, it's like, hi, it's great to have you. Wonderful. Why don't you just come and take a seat? No, it's not possible. We're going to be with them for a couple of days. I'm like, God, this is a bit much for me now. Pretending, pretending, pretending. No, people need to see who I am and comment on about who I am so that I can hopefully grow out of who I am into what I should be. But if you live in isolation, dear friend, if you're only content with crowds, then this is not going to be possible. It's not going to be possible because even all of us here, we're like, I've got our best Sunday. We're fighting with your wife or the kids on the way here. You're like, how are you doing? I'm fine, eh? Jeez. Haven't had a better day at all. Jesus is so good. I mean, it's just like loving. Oh, isn't it? Yeah? There are times when we need to be surprised. Like people surprise you at the, at the robot or the traffic light. Like pulling next to you. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, goodness, I hope he didn't see you what I was doing last. Because Tulani does that to me. Tulani, my dear brother there at the back, he drives up next to me when I'm driving to observe me. And then he has some comments. He's like, Vessi, I wonder about this. So Tulan, thanks for that, bro. <laughs> anyway, so observing is good. Allowing people. And also for you to get close to other people, to observe them. Not to be critical. And no, no. Part of our, 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 our commitment towards one another is to help each other grow. But if you do not allow me close to you, I will not be able to say anything. I want to commend you for what you, I came here early this morning because there's no Zessa at the moment in this place with some dear people had stolen cables around in this area and we had to bring the generator here. So I was here early and I saw five young people, six young people here setting up stuff probably before seven already. I'm like, wow, what a great privilege it was for me just to come and observe them. You, all of you, most of you don't know what happens behind the scenes before and after. But there are people that give of themselves incredibly. And I wish you could observe all of that. Anyway, God works through community. And so Moses then recognized that my father-in-law is a wise man. Yeah, I need to accept what he's given me. So he employs, employs this whole strategy. And he says, yeah, I've got to have somebody over thousands and over hundreds and over fifties and over tens. And I recognize that I can't do it alone, but I need people. And God works through community. God works through people. It's not just one person. And what we often live with as a New Testament church worldwide is we live with an Old Testament mindset that says it's got to be that one person. 
It's got to be a Moses. Ooh, we need a Moses in our church. We need a Joshua or we need a David. But God says, no, in the New Testament, it says that all the believers involved in what we call the ministry. And the ministry is not just a Sunday moment. The ministry is every single day that when Mr. Simon Zulu goes to Petra Primary, he is in the ministry when he goes there. Same as Mrs. There you go now. I've got to say it carefully, hey? <laughs> Amanda Rundle, when she goes to Whitestone, she's in the ministry there. It's not when she comes to a Sunday meeting that she suddenly becomes a minister. Every single one of you are in the ministry wherever you go. And God wants to use each one of us. But we cannot stay in the crowd. We've got to get step out of the crowd into what God has for us. So let me jump with you to the New Testament, please. And I want to just show you that there's a beautiful illustration for us here of God is, how God said to Moses through Jethro, it's not good that you try to do it all by yourself. It's not good that people stay in the crowd. Bring them into closer and smaller contexts. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And I want to start by talking about the crowd. We're going to look at Luke. Just look at a couple of verses from the, the book of Luke. And in Luke 5, we see how in the Gospels particularly, and in Luke, we find the word crowd used about 33 times. 33 times we see the appearance of this word crowd. It says on one occasion, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats and by the lake, and then the story happens where he, out of that he calls his first disciples. And in verse 15, we see the same. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, about Jesus. And great crowds, say with me, crowds. Crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus was, was familiar with crowds. He was comfortable with crowds. But he would still at the same time have a moment to be alone. Which, by the way, is the only moment that we really should be alone. Other than that, there's no justification for isolation. We're not called to live in isolation. We're called to be in isolation to hear from speak to us and, and instruct us and guide us. But then we step out of isolation and we go from the crowd into homes, workplaces, communities, relationships. That's where we go and do what God wants us to do. The second thing that we find about the kind of like a model that Jesus gives us about how to be amongst people we go to Luke chapter 10, and we see another example of how Jesus functioned. It says in verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 into every town. So out of the crowd, these crowds that had been following Jesus, Jesus said, well, there are a couple of people that are faithful within this crowd. And I'm taking 72 of them, and I'm sending them out two by two. Say with me, two by two. So it's much smaller than crowd, isn't it? You agree? I don't know how your math is this morning on a Sunday morning, but two is smaller than crowd, correct? And so the 72 comes out, but they don't stay 72. He says, you two, you two, you two, you two go. And he gives them an instruction. Don't just go and have fun. Why don't you just go and enjoy each other? 
and just chat. There's nothing wrong with just chatting. But God instructed them through Jesus to go and spread the gospel to a group of people away from the crowd. Then we see another number coming up. And it's in Luke. We're still in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6. And you're very familiar with this. It should be. But in Luke chapter 6 and verse 14 to 16, we see, or actually from verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. So guess what he was praying about? Because what's coming is why he needed to go and pray. It says in verse 13, And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, and it goes through the 12 names there. So another number that is important to us is from the crowd, we have hobos of people, we have 72, and it didn't happen in succession, I know, don't worry, not changing some theological thing here. I'm just saying that this is some of the instances that we see how God says it's good for people to come out of the crowd. And so he uses a 72, two by two, and then he says, hey, hey, I've got to have 12. I'm going to have 12. These are the 12 that will be with me day and night. I'm going to sit with them and they're going to learn from me because there's something that they are going to have to do. They're going to have to replicate what I teach them. Because from when I leave, Holy Spirit will come upon them and the others and they will be used by me. So it's a beautiful illustration of a group of committed people and Jesus chose the 12. He couldn't choose necessarily 120 to go with him. He chose 12. Because he wanted to teach us something about the value of stepping out of the crowd. And then in the 12, we even see here in Luke 9, listen to that. We see a smaller number appearing. In verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, that was um, before verse 28, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James. How many of those? That's three. Well done. Well done. So from the 12, he had three. And we see that quite significantly in his walk with them, that it seemed like there was something unique that he had with the three. So he had the 12, but he also had the three. And so Jesus makes it very clear to us that even though the crowds are there and crowds follow him, he says there's a work to be done that I cannot do through crowds. I need to bring it down to a smaller number. I need people to step out of the crowd. And it was in that context that the disciples were commissioned. And, and by the way, these three, Peter, James, and John, they became leaders in the church in Jerusalem. So God prepared them through Jesus for what was coming. So I want to give you just four things that we need to learn from this. We've looked a little bit about how, how Moses and Jethro's example teaches us about the value of letting the work be spread. Jesus does the same. I want to say, first of all, that following Jesus from the crowd can be very comfortable. It can be very comfortable. But God's not called us to be comfortable. Do you agree with that? You don't want to agree with it. I, know, I don't want to agree with it either. But he has called us not to a comfort He's called us to be uncomfortable in following him. But it can be so comfortable from the crowd. Well, you know, I do the Christian stuff. I, I go to meetings uh, every now and again. 
I sit and I, I'm there, I can smile. <laughs> I'm very kind to people as they come in, I welcome them. I even help people just you know, pour sugar into their cup. I mean, it's like I'm really kind. I mean, I'm really stepping out here. And, and I'm just, you know, from the crowd. I don't know them. I don't know a couple of names. <laughs> that one Sunday we had, we had those, those stickers on. I remember four. I remember four names from that Sunday. I mean, it's just great to be in the crowd. It's just I love it in the crowd. Just nobody comes close to me. Nobody observes me. <laughs> just best that they don't come and see what I do. But anyway, and, um, but yeah, I'm fine with the crowd. I'm very happy there. But you know what? Remaining in the crowd will not get us where we need to get to. We move along as a crowd, but we grow as we step out of the crowd, crowd to follow him. He says, come and follow me, which means that you've got to leave what you're comfortable with. He actually said that, you know, leave. I mean, he called the fishermen, Peter, uh, he called them away from the business that they were in. He said, come and follow me. So the reality is that there's great comfort for us if we stay in the crowd, ladies and gentlemen. There is. But Jesus has called us to something deeper, something more intimate with him and with others. The second thing I want to say is relational realities are only really possible away from the crowd. And we will keep on talking about this because this is the philosophy of the New Testament church. These are the values of the New Testament church that we cannot just stay a crowd. We gather to be a crowd, but we've got to gather to be connected relationally in other ways too. Because again, I mean, we can go on and about all the illustrations from what a Sunday cannot do. A Sunday cannot connect you one to another because you're all sitting with your backs to somebody. But what we do in, in small moments in the threes is I sit face to face to you. Not no longer my back to you. Now you can observe me. Now you can hear me. Now you can see me. Now you can understand what I'm going through perhaps. And I can understand what you're going through. But if we're just sitting like this, because many of you that side wouldn't even know who said it this morning. But if we come out of the crowd and we say, listen, how can we make this real? You start to get to know each other better. And the relational realities start kicking in. We've got to step out of the crowd. On Sunday mornings, our Sunday moments, we'll never be able to build relational depth as much as a small group moment will lead you to. Listen to what the statistics tell us. They say that those who don't knit into a life group or a small group or something like 12 or a 3 are likely to leave the church in five years. That's what they say. And not just a church, but the church. The church Big C. They say they, they kind of walk away from their faith. And I'm not saying everybody. The or the possibility is there that if we're not connected closely, that if we're not, hey Charles, I'm accountable to you. Please watch my life. Then in five years time, I can walk away from this, the church. Oh, well, this Christian thing is not worth it. And someone who is connected to people through a small 12 or a 3 is five times more likely to continue in their faith than those who aren't. That's what the statistics tell us. And so I'm not trying to force you into a corner and say, hey, you three, you're going to now talk. Talk to each other. Come on now. No, I want to lure you out of the crowd into community, into the reality of relational connection. So in other words, faith in God without connecting with God's people in a relational context becomes 
fragile. Shall I say that again? Faith in God, your pursuit of God, without connecting with God's people in a relational context becomes fragile. This is not relationally deep enough for you to say, I'm okay, I'm connected. You've got to step deeper, my friend. From the crowd to a 12 or a 3, and it doesn't have to be those numbers. It's a principle. By the way, the battle, the previous chapter in Exodus, Exodus 17, you, we didn't preach about this because we just kind of like, there were other things, but there's a to fight against the Amalekites and Joshua was down there fighting and Moses was up here and God said to him, keep your arms up. As long as your arms are up, the Israelites will conquer. And how did he manage to keep his arms up? Aaron and her not her as in a female, H-U-R, came and held his arms up and said, come on, come on, let's do this. And I'm telling you that no way can you and I stand up there and say we'll manage. In the crowd, outside of the crowd, we need people. I need an Aaron, I need a her. I need people, I need friends in my life. I cannot do it. So the last thing that the enemy wants you to have are friends. They'll come near to you, to observe you, to help you, to support you. And that is particularly why we get upset with one another and offended, so that we don't have this. I don't need it. <laughs> I'm fine. Well, your own battle, you will lose. And the battle that you're standing on behalf of others for, they will also battle. Your family battle. And not able to overcome because you, my friend, are pretending that you're okay without people. You're not and sorry for being perhaps harsh and straight this morning, but I've got to be real because this is what the Bible tells me. I want to say thirdly, intentional discipleship and growth of character is more effective away from the crowd. Again, when you get into the proximity of people and, and they smell your breath and they talk to you about your breath that is smelling, well, that's an opportunity to either get offended. By the way, offense is never given. Offense is taken. You know that? An offense is never given. Offense is taken. So when you come and you do things to me that I don't like, I can't blame you. It's I have taken offense. If I, I mean, it doesn't justify that I just go around and give offenses and don't care what I say. But ultimately, an offense is taken. It's not given. So when you Stay away from close proximity of people because you've been offended. Something that you've got to work through. On Friday night, we spoke to the young people about forgiveness. That it's part of our lives. You'll always have to forgive. You'll never move beyond forgiveness. One issue in life that you'll never graduate in. Praise the Lord, I don't have to forgive anymore. <laughs> the boom. Oh, gee, where did that come from? You'll always have to forgive. Real character growth and Christ-like development is impossible by just remaining in the crowd. When we are drawn closer to people in a smaller setup, we are able to develop genuine and authentic relationships that creates the potential for our own growth. This is where we are challenged and where people can observe closer, give advice. Outside of a three or a 12, there's very little space for that. Because you're glad that you're here. So glad to have crowds. We celebrate crowds. Amen? We don't obviously discourage this. This is part of our growth. Is, is big group discipleship moments. But big group discipleship moments require small group 
contextualization where we sit down and we say, okay, what did you think about what that crazy guy said on Sunday? No, no, I just don't agree or I do agree or whatever it is and we talk through and we grow together. The last thing I want to say is that we need to invite potential believers away from the crowd to assist them on a walk towards faith in God. I want to say this is crucial, that with this crowd thing. And I invite people to come and sit here that are far away from God. But the best thing that they can get exposed to is not how we sing our songs, is how we preach on Sundays. But the best thing that they can expose, be exposed to is the conviction that I have in my heart when I sit down with them over a cup of coffee. And so our effectiveness of reaching this world, because how many of you know there are people that are far from God out there? And the thing is not to invite them only to a Sunday meeting. And I know that's, again, the, the, the model that we've been used to. Just get them to the church. Just get them to the church. The Bible actually says take the salt to the meat. Not that bring the meat to the salt. So you've got to go out and take the salt to the meat. You are the salt. So you've got to go in. And, so people out there don't like the crowd. Oh, I don't know what you guys do on a Sunday. They're intimidated by this. You come in here and you're more familiar with this. You know what's happening. But you get people from outside that have no clue about God and Christianity and actually perhaps have been offended by it. They don't like songs. They, they're like, no, I'm not going to ever come to your meeting. Well, exactly why you and I need to step out of the crowd and step into their world and go and reach out. So I want to ask you as I close. Where are you today? Jethro said to Moses, it was not good to let the people remain in the crowd. This is not effective, Moses. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to carry on doing all these things on your own. It's not going to work. You're going to let smaller setups be created for people to be properly cared. So that it says, let the peace of God will be amongst them. Jesus called people from the crowds into smaller units. And for us as a church, this is not an, a, a massive marketing moment for more small groups. This is a moment for us to consider the biblical way in which we ought to live, not function. Because small groups is not a program. Small groups or accountable relationships is a lifestyle. You want to hear that again? It's not a program. Disciples are being and saying, oh, from now on, we're going to have these programs. No, it is a lifestyle. It is the culture in which we want to function. We want to get to know each other so that we can grow together. And that you can allow me to learn from you. And that you can allow me to observe you and hear what you're going through, etc., etc. Outside of that, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to battle. So what we do is we have these moments. We have, for instance, this morning, there's a, there's a group of people that are getting together in small groups called Grow. And for many people, it's difficult during the week to get together. But what we do is we create those moments for them to come together, to grow. And we have people that's isolated us. It's given us excuses not to reach out. Oh, I don't know about going in somebody's home, you know. Just now pick up whatever. Yeah, well, maybe you pick up something good. Just imagine that. And so I want to, we, we're going to do communion. Communion over there, there's a table, there's a table in the front, and there's a table at the back. Now I'm going to ask you to 
celebrate Jesus with me. By the way, communion is not a membership thing. Communion is a, is a belief thing. It is if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, then communion is available for you. But I want to also, I want to put out these sign-up sheets. And what it does have is just a place I want to do over the next couple of months. It's obviously November, you're going to go into December, etc., etc. But as a church, we want to intentionally work towards helping people step out of the crowd. And we want to create moments, more moments for people to gather in sports. But we also want to create moments where people are saying, listen, I want to be a I want to be part of a, a 12 group or a three or whatever it may be. But I want to facilitate. I want to help those people. We want to present training where we can help you towards that. And so this is how simple it actually is. And so we want to throw it out. It's kind of like I'm casting the net out there this morning. And say, if you want to sign up, come and give us your name. And tick just where you say, hey, I, I, yeah, please train me. And I want to join or whatever it may be. And so as we break bread, it's going to be a time where you move around you know what we do you go and take some um, of the elements and you celebrate Jesus what he's done for us but then these sign-up sheets I'm going to put them out here on the front and you just come and take and we won't obviously start with something this week we're going to take your names we're going to get together we're going to plan as elders we'll sit around it and see how we can help you help you step out of the crowd We've got to step out of the crowd because it's not helpful. It's good to be in the crowd. Well done for being here this morning. But I want to challenge you further. So Father, I thank you just for your grace. I thank you for your kindness. Speak to us. As we break bread now, thank you for the beauty of what Jesus had done for us. Jesus, you are amazing. You came and you stepped out of heaven. And I'm sure what a comfortable place it is. But you stepped into our world. And you took the initiative. You, you showed us what, how it should be done. You came to reveal yourself and the Father to us. How beautiful. And then you died. And as we break bread and drink of the cup together this morning, we thank you that we can celebrate what you have done for us. And we rejoice in who you are. And at the same time, Father, they need to step out of the crowd. It's been great to have them around Sundays. And, but Father, there's something more that you ask of us. And that is to connect closely with other believers. And also help others that are potential believers to get to know more about you. And so, Father, I pray for people that need to commit themselves to say, I want to step out of the crowd. I pray this morning, Lord God, that there will be a willingness in their hearts that say, that's it. I've, I've been part of the crowd for too long. I want, to, I want to get deeper. And I thank God for the crowd. I thank God for the Sunday mornings. But there's more. There's more. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will guide people to the more.